Welcome to the Jane Bond Show, from execution to excellence. And I am your host, Jane Bond, the serial entrepreneur who will be sharing with you valuable life lessons and interviewing influencers from around the country who are breaking through to success, along with giving you advice on navigating through the game. Today, our topic is real estate and stars. Our special guest is a celebrity New York City top real estate agent who arrived in New York three decades ago from Alabama and climbed his way to the top of one of the most competitive markets in the country. He will share with us his challenges and breakdowns before the breakthrough of success and the tragedy that almost sent him packing back to Alabama before having a chance meeting with the legendary Miss Lena Horn, who told him not to leave New York because she felt as though he was going to become a star. And a star he did become by working with some of the biggest household names in entertainment, such as Samuel L. Jackson, Vanessa Williams, Spike Lee, and our beloved weatherman, Mr. Al Roker. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to our special guest, Mr. Spencer Means. Hey, Spencer. Hey, how are you? Can you hear me? I can hear you very well. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, you sound nice and smooth. So, hey, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. I'm very, thank you for asking me. It's an honor and a privilege. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about you, and I just want to catch up with you really quick. You know, I had to play the records back in my head how I met you because our careers and our life is so parallel. And we'll get into that some other time because I'll be in New York to see you. But, oh, I love it. Yeah, but... Was it what, the records that you played back, were they CDs, tapes, uh, or plastic albums? <laughs> no, they were visions. They, no, they were visions. They were visions. But let me take you back there. I All met right, you. Then. I met you. I arrived in New York in 1997, very late 97. And from what I understand, you probably got there around the same time. And oh, no, I, I got here in 81. Oh, okay. Well, excuse me. Okay. I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> I don't know about that, but we'll talk about that too. Um, I met you in Deo. Deo. You remember the oh, Caribbean restaurant? Right, on Greenwich and 12th yes. Street. That's where I met you. I kept thinking when I saw you in California at the event, I kept saying, I know the face. I know who he is. I've been in his company. We've had laughs together. I have to just remember. And it came to me, Deo. And I used to love going to that restaurant. Yeah, that was when New York was, the village was the village and Times Square was Times Square. Yes, it was. I really enjoyed myself during that time. (laughs) (laughs) So... Let's jump on into this. You know, um, I know you're from Alabama. Right. So tell us a little bit about growing up in Alabama, Spencer. Uh, I, I was born in the early 60s. Make a long story short, I grew up and I lived through segregation to the third grade. Okay. And then I was bused um, to uh, integrated school in the night uh, of like 1969, 1970. And um, it was great. I mean, I love growing, being from there and growing up there. I love the idea of having a, um, a suburban lifestyle as a child because you have the house, you had neighbors that had a swimming pool and you go swimming and, and things like that. But growing up in Birmingham, I mean, since it dealt with um, segregation and the marches and, and things such as that, the city became very um, progressive for those times. But then they got to a certain point where it stopped again in the sense okay. of growth and, and becoming more integrated. But um, yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world growing up in, in Birmingham, Alabama. It does give you some... Um, sense of home and values being um being from a suburban lifestyle you know and from the south and from the south exactly exactly yeah i i love that accent 
I think is just so wonderful. I mean, I travel a lot and a lot of people say, you know, Americans, they have strange accents, but that Southern accent is beautiful. My mother has that drawl. So I love it. Yeah, I never, um, I never tried to change my accent at all. You know, some people move here and then they lose their Southern accent. I haven't lost mine at all. And I've been in New York since 81. So it's almost, oh my God, I can't even add, do the math. 80, 91, 2001. I mean, almost going on 40 years living in New York, you know? Okay. Which is, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love being from there. When I first moved to New York, I moved here in 1981. I uh, moved in with my cousin, Tommy. And shortly thereafter, he passed away and it was during the um, HIV AIDS epidemic. He died from AIDS. Then, oh, uh, but I mean, was, I mean, uh, everyone has probably lived and known someone that has passed away. Absolutely, because uh, that was the cancer of the early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother called me up and said, "Oh, you need to move back home, and you need to um, think of a different career." Because I wanted to go into fashion at that time, and okay. I was working at and I was working at Tiffany's and Company, and that day. Well, wait, 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 wait. Let's digress. Let's. I don't want you to go too fast on me. What made you want to move to New York City? Was it for fashion, and why not LA? Well, I wanted to move to New York because New York was the fashion capital, and and it still is more so than any other city in the United States, in my mind's eye. Uh, You have all the designers that are here. You had um, a lot of garments were, were being made in New York at that time. Okay. So um, that's where I met uh, a lot of my friends who are actors and models today. You know, okay. And became and famous because of it, too. Absolutely, especially back in the 80s. That was right. the era to break into fashion and modeling for a lot of African-Americans because they there were so many that were paving the way at that time. I, I believe right. it was like a Carol Miles and... Um, Iman. Iman, Beverly Johnson, and, you know, quite a few more. Naomi Campbell. Naomi Campbell, absolutely. When she was younger. Yeah, Beverly Peel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to name a few, absolutely. And Tyson Beffert. Yes, Mr. Good-looking himself. So what were some of the challenges you faced once you arrived in New York City? Um, Just, I mean, New York has always been an expensive city. And just finding living accommodations and where to live. When I first moved to New York, I did, like I said, I had my cousin as a roommate. Then I went out and um, I moved outside of the city and moved into Brooklyn and got a studio, which was less expensive than living in Manhattan. Then I moved back into the city and found my apartment here. And the apartment I'm in now, I've been in since, I want to say since 88. Wow. Okay. Right. So, and, back, uh, and back then, I would have considered this small, but to New York standards of today, um, it's, I mean, it's fairly decent size. It's a uh, one bedroom with a dining room, living room, kitchen, and foyer. Oh, that's and a New- very decent size. And New York standards <laughs> today. <laughs> I always say you're only as big as your box in New York City. Exactly. And hopefully you have a big box. so um when you moved to new york city spencer did you feel like an outsider or did you feel like you finally found your place in the world at that time i would say i felt like i found my place in the world okay and why was that because it was a very progressive city it was full of life and coming from birmingham where we did not have the disco or um club scene it opened up an entire new world for me of going out at night and staying out until 10 o'clock the next day. Not saying yes. I was a party, a party boy, but at the same time, it opened up the world to me on that. Restaurants, um, not thinking in the box in the sense of fashion and, and, um, and many other things. And then, I mean, it led me to my other career also, which I'm very pleased with. Okay. And just have, have, being able to be yourself and live your life. 
and, and exactly. not yeah, not hiding in any boxes or in behind any closed doors. I get that. New York is a mm-hmm. wonderful city. It's one of, you know, it's major highlight of my life also. Mm-hmm. So what do you think um going into your career, what do you think hold people back from unlocking their full potential and achieving their goals? You know what I believe, and you probably can testify to this, is that uh, people need to do what they love for a living. And it's so easy to say that, but it's so true. If you love something you do, you will be so happy doing it every day, working seven days a week. And you will find that pleasure. Feel like you're um, you're getting that satisfaction from life, from your career. You understand, such like an actor would or a model would. Right now, I'm in real estate, and I, that's where I found my niche. I love selling, showing, being around real estate all day long. And when I'm even when, even when I'm traveling, and like if I'm in LA or in Miami. I always go to look at real estate in those cities. Just out of curiosity, it's something I love. And you will find it's not a job when you love it. You, it would just be something that you do during your pastime, no matter what day of the week it may be. Right. I understand that because, you know, to quote my Angelo, you know, we are much more alike than we are different. And yeah. you always wonder, and especially me as an interviewer, I always wonder what stops people from breaking through to that level of success that they so yearn for and living right. their life to the fullest, right? you know, and with someone like you, I mean, I know I've followed your career, you know, and I've read up on you, of course, because of this interview. And I think uh, you could testify to a lot of things in reference to real estate. Right. So now let's get to the juicy part. Tell us about your chance encounter with the legendary Miss Lena Horne. All right. So what happened was we were having one of those snow blizzards here in New York. And um, she came in in a black full-length coat. She was doing the show, The Lady and Her Music on Broadway. Okay. And she came in, and I worked in customer service, customer relations at that time. And Tiffany's on Fifth Avenue was only three floors. And can you imagine they sold very expensive jewelry? The most inexpensive thing they sold was the key ring, which took them into a different market. But Lena Horn came in and she had a sapphire and a ruby bracelet with diamonds. And she needed it to be appraised. So she came up and she said, and I got her as my client. And she sat down at my desk. She said, I want to leave these here. I want them to return within a week. That's okay, fine. And she said, and she heard my accent just as you did. And she said, where are you from? I said, I'm from okay. <laughs> And I said, but I'm moving back because uh, I, my cousin just passed away. My mom wants to come back. She looked at me. She said, you know what? And it gives me goose pimples just speaking of it. I'm she sure. Said, she says, um, don't leave New York. She said, I feel it. You're going to be a star. All right. So I hung up. Did all the paperwork with her, and I said, "My God, Lena Horn told me to stay in New York because she feels like I'm gonna be a star." And I'm staying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. No, but I called my mama, and I called my mom. I said, "Mom, uh, Lena Horn just told me to stay in New York." And being the southern mother that she is, that right? She says, I do not give a I don't give a you're coming back to me you have spent all your graduation money you need to come back to Birmingham and be more serious blah 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 I said no I'm staying so we had an argument and I stayed in New York and um, my mother and I didn't speak as much for that first year you know even though we we love each other we, uh, we didn't speak as much of course of course and she, um, a year later, I was working at um, Tiffany's still, and my grandfather said to me, you need to find a career that pays to pay your bills in New York. And they were subsidizing some certain things. So I then um, decided, he said, why don't you go into real estate? Because my family was in real estate in Alabama. Okay. And I went into real estate. And I said, oh my God, I love this. Because here... You can go into a an apartment. It could be glamorously decorated. It was not that Raymond and Flanagan uh, look. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you could have that higher end look also. And, you, and it, it, it gave me an eye and a perspective. 
on decorating. Um, um, the word I love is artifice. Artifice. Okay. The, the, the what you give the world to see of yourself as we dress today. That's what we want the world to see. And I think my apartment is my artifice. And the way I dress is my artifice. The way I present myself to, to the world is the way I want to, them to see me. That shell. But, I mean, I'm deeper than that in the sense that um, I'm Southern. I'm, I know how to cook. I go to the gym maybe five times a week. I mean, you know, it's more to Spencer than just the, the appearance. But New York does give you that. That's that cultured eye. I Absolutely. Call. I agree with you 100%. You say you look at someone walking down the street in New York, you look at them, you say, oh, I can pull that off. Absolutely. That New York, yes. You find your style when you go to New York. If you don't find it anywhere else, you must find it when you get to those streets. Right. <laughs> so was there ever a breakdown before the breakthrough? Um, I think my cousin passing away was very hard for me because I was only like 18 years old then. Okay. And uh, to lose someone when you're young, I mean, not in your late teens or early 20s is the most difficult time. Those deaths, those passing aways are deaths hitting you the hardest because it, it, it shows you you're not um, uh, immortal in a, in a sense you can, you're going to live forever. Right. So yeah, that was the most difficult part for me. I mean, I, 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 everyone has had financial hardship and I did too, but at the same time, losing up someone that was a relative so close um, near to my age and so young was the hardest thing and you both being in new york fighting the city and trying to make right. your way and get your career going yeah right. i can appreciate that so you spoke about your parents being in real estate tell me a little bit about that well my great my uh great grandfather was the founder of Parker High School, which is in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama. That's where Condoleezza Rice went and uh, Colin, uh, Colin Powell's wife, Amanda, okay. went there also. And my parents went there. They owned the land around the high school. And then when he passed away, my great-grandmother built a house on that land. And then, they, and then when she was getting older, we tore it down and built an apartment of like 12 units. Then my father went to Tuskegee. He met my mother and he went into construction of doing subdivisions. So he did those communities you see today where every other house looks alike or every third house look alike. He built communities like that in the South. Okay. And then when I moved to New York, my father was, has pa passed away before I moved here. So it was my grandfather, my grandmother, and my mother that were um, the elders, per se. And my father um, always had me around his office when he was living. So I, I was always accustomed to real estate. And, um, but more on the development end and more on uh, an ownership um, perspective. And then... Um, I love the idea of selling because I had a um, one of my uh, dad's employees, Mr. Brooks, was a salesperson, and he had so much personality. That's how I want to be like Mr. Brooks. Okay. And my dad and my dad said, "Well, don't you want to own it?" I said, "I like Mr. Brooks. He dress shop. He comes in when he wants to, and he makes commission, makes a check every so often, a bigger check than yours sometimes. You know what I mean?" And goes home without the headache. <laughs> Exactly. So I said, that's what I wanted to do. That's how I ended up where I am today because okay. of Mr. Brooks, too. So you have to fall back on Mr. Brooks. That's fabulous. Yeah. Well, Mr. Brooks must have been a sharp cat because you're a beautiful dresser and you take yeah, care was. of yourself. Yeah, he was. <laughs> All right, Mr. Brooks. Right. <laughs> so tell me, did you ever think that your career would take the shape it has? No. And I'm still nervous today. I would not have thought I met the people I did on the way up and what they became. I met uh, Vanessa Williams prior to her winning Miss America. And then I met her a time after that when she won Miss America. 
And that was a matter of like six months apart. Then I met Tanya Lee through a friend of hers, Andre, who went to college with her and she ended up marrying Spike Lee. And then Tanya introduced me to um, LaTanya and Sam Jackson, who are just like family. LaTanya and Sam are really family to me. I mean, I, I, could, I, I could speak to them every day. I speak to LaTanya, LaTanya Jackson, at least three times a week. And we just, I mean, it's, it's a strange how you can have a relationship with a person you just pick up the phone and, and you just start off like the conversation ended five minutes ago. And same with Tanya Lee. She and I speak every day also. That's fantastic. It's amazing. And, and these people have referred business to me. They have been advisors to me. And it's, it's, it's amazing that I was blessed to have the, the, uh, a group of friends around me that I do have. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So what was it like getting that first celebrity client for you? Um, first celebrity. Well, first celebrity that was a celebrity was uh, uh, Tanya and Spike Lee. Okay. Tanya was, I mean, because I met them so early in their marriage. I met them like, I think they were only married for like a year and maybe even two years. And, uh, and they've been married at least 27 years right now, or 26 years. Okay. Um, it, I mean, I, it, I always had a connection to my clients through a personal connection, though. So it was not, I felt intimidated about my clients, which is weird to say. You know what you, I mean? You're saying you felt intimidated? I, I did not. Oh, you did not. Okay, great. I'm just thinking about, I'm thinking out loud, thinking of that first moment when I met Tanya, I walked into her house. She just had Satchel, their daughter. And I think um, she was, she just had Jackson, their son. She had their second child by the time I met them. And I came in and they had a toy on the uh, ottoman. And it was one of those little pyramid toys. And I didn't see it. I sat down, I said, oh, I jumped up and said, oh. Tanya said from that moment on, she knew and I, she and I were going to be friends forever. <laughs> just, just that one scream. That one scream said it all. That's <laughs> great. Imagine. I hope I gave y'all enough of a visual on that. Yeah, but you, yeah, gave, you gave me enough. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing when you can pick up you know, with friends right where you left off after you get off the phone with them. It could be days or months, and then you pick up the phone and boom, you guys are right back in order. Right. That's friendship for you. Right. That's amazing. I have a so, friend, Barry Johnson, the same way that I grew up with in Birmingham. And Barry and I may not speak for six months or, or a year, and we could pick up like we spoke yesterday because we grew up together. You know what I mean? So we know each other like family. Absolutely. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I have a friend, um, unfortunately, that passed away. I had the same thing. Right, I'm um, sorry to hear that. Yeah, I would speak to him three times a day. And if I didn't speak to him in weeks, I'd pick up the phone. It was never like, why didn't you call me? It was always like, hey, girl. <laughs> so right. it's all good. I get it. So let me ask you, being successful, sometimes we must rise above circumstances. We cannot control, of course. Knowing yeah. negativity and or jealousy might arise in the work environment. Have you ever had to deal with that? And if so, how have you managed to stay focused? Well, you know what? I, um, I always go back to this motto. If, if, if people, people will tell you what you can't do and you got to prove them what you can do. And I always like a little bit of a competition. If people say, I can't do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to even try harder. But when negative things come around, I tend to block those out. Because I, I have my mindset of how I want something to go in any event. And people talked about Jesus. So I know I'm not greater than Jesus. Am I right okay. or wrong? You're right. Did they talk, they talk, they, about, they, they talk about him today. I, I was, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, they're still talking about Jesus. <laughs> right. So if they talk about Jesus, you know they're going to talk about you. That's so, right. Uh, 
so and for other people's success, I always and my mother used to say this: don't worry about other people what they're doing. It's not your pig and it's not your farm. Okay. Mama says not, your, not your pig or farm. <laughs> right. So don't worry about that. Just stay on focus what you have to do. Um and and also you have to be honest, um, have ethics and morals in, in any business. Once you have those down packed, businesses will always come in. And 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 like I said, whatever you do, if you do it, if you love it, you you're going to be successful in it no matter what. So would you, know? you say it's all about mindset? Uh, yeah, it's all about mindset and being able to keep on those blinders and being focused. You can't, people, there are things I hear that want to um, take your concentration on something that you're doing that's positive. People will always tell you, you can't, like I said before, you can't do it, you know, versus saying, you know what? Try a little bit harder next time. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, I know. I get exactly what you're saying. And, and if you're, you have a competitive spirit, so right. you're going to go after it anyway. Right. And I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm definitely going to prove you wrong. If you say I can't do it, trust me, watch me work. Exactly. I've seen you. <laughs> <laughs> I, love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, Mr. Spencer, after 20 years of, success, of a successful run, at Corcoran, what made you right. switch gears and go to another firm? Well, Compass, um, Robert Rafkin uh, approached me, and he, um, and he and I do have mutual friends. And, I mean, we, we knew each other indirectly, socially. And I, he came, he said, oh, let's meet, we met. And, um, I mean, he gave me an offer of, come over and he was he was right on target at that time last year in fact around this time for me to come over to compass and i said it would be great working for a young forward-thinking company instead of a company that's stuck in their ways okay after leaving corcoran and being at compass compass has shown me such advantages that i did not see or have at at my previous company and um and which it which is amazing and i am so blessed to be at compass right now i'm, I'm with really you on am. that i'm with you I, on I'm, that. I agree 100 percent. i am so blessed to be here i mean with, it's robert i never had the ceo of my old company's mobile number I have Robert Rafkin's mobile number in my phone. He's one of the few CEOs of any company that any agent or employee could reach out to directly and would get a response. And, and I, it's, it's amazing that he, I mean, he's younger than I am, but he has the mind that this company is going, it is going to be one of the largest ones in the nation. I mean, Compass is in over 430, uh, I think over 243 cities right now. That's right. And I mean, nationwide. So if I have a customer in LA, I can refer to someone in Los Angeles. I have people in Miami. I have people in Chicago. You're, we're in every major market. This is true. And no, no other company can say that being privately held, such as Compass, that's in every major market. A lot of, and I know he's dealing with his challenges of companies feel like they are, he's approaching their territory, but the old guard has to change. We have a younger generation coming along, technology has changed, and if either you're in the way or on the way. All right, I like that. And, and Compass is on the way. And because we definitely aren't in the way of anybody. Right, right. <laughs> We're no, moving people, people out the way. Right. People want, uh, people are trying to be in the way of Compass. And it's the weirdest thing to me. Everyone, everyone deserves a piece of the pie. Absolutely. And it's enough pie for everyone. Right. This is true. So that's a great segue to my next question. What do you think the new generation of agents are losing sight of in today's market? 
Well, only think about it. If you're, and that's, I'm not talking about the uh, uh, generation Y, which is younger than the millennial. I think you have the generation from, I would say, 30 to 41. The millennials, that is the gap right there. I've hired a millennial to work with me and they do not pick up the phone and they only text. <laughs> I said, okay. Yeah, you right. Can't a, you cannot run a sales business that way. You have to pick up the phone. And you and sometimes you do need communication. I just hired this new guy to my team called Gage. He's 23 years old. I call him at seven o'clock in the morning. He picks up his phone. Then he will text me. Then he will follow up. And I say, and, and then I was discussing this with a friend of mine last night. They said, well, he's not a millennial. He's a, a generation Y or X, whatever generation is after millennial. He said, they are overachievers. I said, really? He said, that, that generation, they, 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 they pound on that door until someone answers. That's true. Is and it, and and, I, and I, all millennials aren't the same, and all uh, generation Y and X, Y and Z aren't the same. A Y and X, whatever. If I'm saying it wrong, someone's probably going to correct me. That's but, okay. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. Absolutely. It's. it's I mean, but I, I, a lot of people say, "Oh, the millennials, 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 millennials are getting old now. They're now they're halfway to death. If you're 30." Don't you only get 78 years to live? Hypothetically, they said the <laughs> yes. lifetime, the lifetime expectancy is 78. And they okay. say it's dropping, it's dropped a percentage or two this last couple of years because of health and artificial foods and all this. That's another topic. But if you're 35 and you aren't on top of your business, you got to learn to do it quickly because you're halfway through life. Okay. Well, you know, people that are our age, they had to get on the treadmill to catch up because they didn't even want to do anything on the computer. They knew nothing about digital marketing. They knew nothing about videoing. I mean, personally, I was doing videoing back in 2012, 13. I was trying to get up on my game and maybe it was my New York mentality because, you know, basically that's what I saw happening. In my career and who I was as a person, I thought, okay, well, I came from the entertainment industry out of New York, then let me put some of that in the mix here and see what happens there. And then I started seeing people doing it. And I said to myself, my God, and now it's so it's the market is flooded with it. We can't even turn on anything without seeing it. However, like you said, the younger generation not not the millennials i would say in the from 23 maybe to 28 they are moving like fire and they are hungry right and the movement on social media is so strong it just amazes me when i look at social media today i'm like these people are moving so fast and people that are our age they still have to catch up right but get out the game right but i'm not saying people are our age because i'm probably a lot older than you keep saying you that. Have, I'll, I'll share that later. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, if you're on your iPhone every day, I learn a new trick every day on my phone. This is true. I try, that's why I try to stay on top of it. And and I think that you just have to you just have to force yourself to catch up with it. And I think you and I have. I mean, you have lazy, like I said, you have people who aren't willing to learn at every age. I mean, you have 70-year-old people going to the gym, you know what I mean, working out. And then you have uh, a 35-year-old that can't run a mile. Exactly. So, I mean, the world is changing this. I mean, um, I am 56. I'll be 57 this year. And I was out with some friends of mine. They told my God, since you look young for your age, I said, because I work out. It's not an easy. It's not an easy job, you know what I mean? No, oh, do it's you not. Diet? Do you diet? I said no, I don't. I said I eat what I want. I work out five days, six days a week, whatever it may be. I um, I try to keep a very young, current mentality. I try not to be judgmental of things. 
people go from one extreme to other. People may hate uh, Nikki and love Cardi, Cardi B or uh, hate Cardi B and love Nikki. I'm open to them both. I said both of them have something to offer if you listen to both of them. Okay. Or like the Cardi, you got. I mean, people may hate the Kardashians or what have you, but they're current, and you have to appreciate the Kardashians what they turn themselves into. Absolutely, a marketing machine that is some are worth billions, which is amazing. Off the, I mean, off the no talent, but just being a social media relevant just monsters turning right. that machine like it's like it just makes money it's genius it is genius it's... i agree with you and that's yeah. what we are living in today and if you're not if you're not understanding the trends then y- you can't possibly know what's happening you gotta right. just like a market you have to understand the trends and follow the trends it's like the staging right. thing you know having right. a beautiful home but no furniture in it it's very difficult right. to sell a home without furniture because a lot of people can't visualize and you know if you're not following that then how do you know you're losing you're falling behind right you're falling behind you're absolutely right so spencer what do you pride yourself on most as a successful agent uh follow up follow up and being honest all right and don't and no and, and no bullshitting a client telling them they can get a little bit more. I always ask the client, "What do you want to price it at?" And and they tell me their price. Then I turn it back. I say, "Well, this is the market value." Now, I would I would work as hard at either price, but if you price it inappropriately, do not be upset if it sits on the market longer. With me, I want you then to do the Michael Jackson. <laughs> Look at the man in the mirror. Oh, <laughs> and God. you may need to change your ways. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that song? I remember that song very well. I know the words, the lyrics. Um, so, yes, it's just that sometimes you have, you have to tell a client to be very upfront with your client. This is true. And, and the integrity is everything. You're absolutely right, right about that. Integrity and, and being very candid with them. And sharing yeah. with them, you know, you don't have a crystal ball, but this is the value. Right. And don't price yourself out of the market. You're absolutely right. correct. I agree with you. A lot of people, people like to do future value on their home, which is, the I, I find, they're using the crystal ball. Oh, they're building a new um, shopping mall four blocks away. So my house should increase in value. Whoever buys my house should be paying more now. I said, so you're predicting that that mall is going to be successful. Right. You know how many, how many malls and stores close? Or they're building a new park over there. Do they have the funds set aside yet? Sometimes a city will stop building a park. Mm-hmm. So you're predicting someone else. They are predicting someone else's pig and farm. Exactly. And you can't do that. You, you can't future price something. No, you can't. And not only that, they don't realize they have to understand that they have lived in the property. Right. (laughs) And I usually ask my client, did you enjoy all of this? Right. Because, you know, the next person might not. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yes. This this all of that is so true. So I want to ask you this question here. You were portrayed as a character, Manny, in a book that was written, I believe it was a collaboration effort with Spike Lee's wife, Tanya Lewis Lee, and Crystal Mm -hmm. McCrary Anthony. As this character was unctuous, scheming, and downright dirty. How did you feel about being portrayed as that character? I mean, I I felt like I was... uh, Dominique Devereaux from Dynasty. <laughs> I love <laughs> And if you ever met Diane Carroll, she's not Dominique Devereaux from Dynasty. She's a glamorous, beautiful woman, but she's not. Or I felt like I was Wilhelmina Slater from uh, Ugly Betty. But Vanessa Williams is not Ugly uh, Wilhelmina Slater in real life. Okay. So, the char- so you have to embellish when you do a book. And I gave them that, those rights. 
and it's it's fun. It does make people a little scared of me though when I walk in the room. They feel like I would say something <laughs> so off off kilter. They don't they don't know how to act. I'll I'll retaliate. Because Manny Mars, you would not play with. You know what I mean? Because he yes. knew where all he knew where all the skeletons were buried. He knew all the dirt. Right. He knew which husband had which mistress. He knew which uh wife was sleeping which uh with what woman, you know what I mean? Uh, another man. So he knew where all the skeletons were buried. Oh my God. Okay. So, so he, he was worse than the West Wing and, and Scandal. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they took some pointers from that book, Gotham Diaries. Amazing. Amazing. I was always wondering, I said, I wonder if it ever had any impact. And if it did have an impact on your career, was it good or bad? Uh, it was, you know what, any notoriety is good, and it did, um, it did bring my name to the forefront of a lot of people's tongues, but at the same time, I had my client base by that time when the book came out, so strange, strange enough, so a lot of people knew me already personally, and um, it did not um, impact my business negatively at all. In fact, it gave everyone a little bit of a chuckle because they knew I was not that person. <laughs> right. I think I, I mean, on somewhere, yes. And uh, only thing about Manny Marks, he had a partner. I don't have a partner. He had a gorgeous partner that was taken by a uh, record mogul who, was, who had uh, children and girlfriends. And let me ask you this. Now that- <laughs> I don't know if that true that part is true or false, but uh, hey. <laughs> you said, let me think about that a little bit. Hmm. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Have you had any challenges in your business that you would like to speak of? Oh uh, no, because I've I'm always been hundred percent Spencer in that sense. That's a wonderful I'm, thing. Right. That's a wonderful I've thing. Been- I've never, you know what my mother and father taught me that. I've always been proud to be Spencer, you know? Uh, so I've never had any challenges. I say, uh, if people did not accept, accept me, I was saying they're lost. You know what I mean? Not Absolutely. mine. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Especially when you know who you are. Right. And that's and, important. And I mean, um, uh, uh, I, I'm good friends with Vanessa Williams. She said one thing to me one one time that she likes people around her that she can trust. And you have to have people around you that you can trust who know themselves and who are authentic with themselves. People who lie on themselves will lie on you. Okay. Just think about it. If people are real with themselves... If they real with you, if they lie about themselves, they'll lie about you. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Because if you're lying about who you are and it's revealed, I'm sure you don't lied about so many other things. Right. Because that's the closest person to you. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a that's a that's a very, very strong statement. Right. And I mean, and she has, I mean, she's living proof of that. People lying about her and saying certain things that weren't true. And these are people, some people that she trusted. So it's, it's sad when you, when you, when those things happen to you with close people and friends around you, but it's a learning thing also. You understand? Uh, The angels of the gods put that in front of you so you can learn from this. And if you don't learn from it, you'll be a fool again. That's right. And you know what they say about being a fool? Fool me once. It's shame only, on me. Okay, fool me twice. <laughs> right, shame on me. Okay. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. So out of all the influential people you have worked with, that's Al Roker, Spike and Tanya Lee, Samuel L. Jackson, Ed Bradley's wife, Arthur Ashe's wife, which I was really surprised about. I was like, wow, okay, the who's who. Who has given you the most sound advice that you have carried with you throughout your career? Um, it was Sam and Latanya Richardson Jackson. Sam and Latanya, we were in Madrid. And I, it always 
come to the forefront of my mind when we were sitting in the lobby there. Sam and I and Latanya were sitting down there, and we, I was just, I was disgusted where my career was going at that time. A sale didn't come through, and I thought these people didn't hire me because I was someone of color. And I mean, you get rejected. We get rejected by the color of our skin sometimes. And because this is and, true. And so Sam was there, and, and Latanya, she said, "Well, Sam didn't win the Oscar. I think it was for." Um, um, do the right thing. Or one of he was up for an Oscar, and he says he thought he was going to win. He got there, and he said he came home, and Latanya said, "Well, I said to him, I said, brother, this is what she said to Sam. You know your greatness, and you should not look for accolades or awards from the world. You should only look from it from yourself." And then Latanya turned me. She said, "Spencer, that's how you have to look at things. You should never look for approval." acceptance on an award from anyone else but you. She said, Sam didn't win that Oscar tonight, but he had to pick himself up. And I said, oh my God. That, and I mean, and you look and people look at him because of the outside layer saying, oh, he, he made, his movies have made more money than any, any other actor in Hollywood. And they look at Latanya, his wife been with him for 40 years and how sweet she is and how their, their marriages work, and people say, "Oh my God, they got everything going for them." But you all, but they have it because they look at themselves and each other for that support. And long as you have, you look at yourself and don't worry from that outside support. Support things will go your way, and that's what I learned from Sam and Latanya. Okay. and that you have carried that throughout your career with you, right? Yeah, I do not. I, I've learned this probably about fifteen years ago. I would not. I don't look for acceptance or accolades from the outside world. I try to get it from myself. I'm doing it because I love it, you know? Absolutely. And that was sound advice because, I mean, you go, we all have down points where we say, what the, what the hell am I doing? You know? Yeah. Or what the, or what the, uh, what the, um, what the, um, what the um, I, I don't want to use the right the word I want to. What the bleep what is what the bleep is going on? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I know. I go through it. I go through. I even go through it now, and people think, you know, Jane, you shouldn't even go there in your mind. And I listen. We're all human. Well, and, you're beautiful, and people and people always say a beautiful woman it has it easy. No, but you know, it's not. You have to have. You bring a lot more to the plate than just that. And yeah. that beauty thing, I don't even think about that. You, I yeah. mean, you hear it so much, you're like, am I crazy or are they crazy? Because I know I look a mess today. <laughs> <laughs> so I, sometimes I wonder to myself, and it's, you, you hear it so much, it's just like you become immune to it. You're like, you, you have to kind of let it go over your head because, it, like you said, you're so much deeper than that. Right. right. And, and a lot of times, you know, people don't think you have insecurities at all. And right. we go home, you know, we have our issues with ourselves, you know, right. and, and we might not share them with everybody. And you, it's not something that you want the outside world to always see. Right. You know, it's not yeah. that you're, you're faking. It's just that, you know, when you go out, you, you do what you have to do. That's your business. Right. I don't try right. to impose any of my emotional breakdowns on anybody. Right. So when you see me, I'm always the same. It's right. like, hey, what's up? And if you're a good friend of mine, then I might confide in you. I mean, when we saw each other in L.A., it was like that. It was like old times. It was, because I knew that energy that you gave off to me from the moment I jumped out of that car. I said, I know this spirit. I know this energy. Because I'm a very spiritual person. Right. You know, and my energy, I'm, I always try to have good energy. And I think about that. I go, why didn't he and I have a, you know, a chit-chat that night? It was just right. very brief. But, you know, it was a lot going on. But don't you worry. I'm coming to New York just to see you, Mr. Spencer. You don't. You just oh. give me give me a minute. <laughs> All right then. Yeah. Are you Are you on Instagram? I'm on Instagram. I follow you. What's What's your name on Instagram? Lifestyle with Jane Bond. All right. All right. You know I'm Spencer Means on Instagram. So mm -hmm. just my name. Um, so I want yeah. you all to follow Mr. Spencer Means. This is one to follow, especially my young real estate agents. If you want to know how to do real estate, follow Mr. Means. He's been doing this at, at his game for a long time. Thank and I, I think, 
I have to say, I remember you telling me you were in real estate when I first met you. And I thought about that and I said, oh my God, wow, I should be in real estate. That sounds good. Then I don't know what happened. My life went into a total another, you know, direction. I went into entertainment, but full circle right. back in, in real estate, you and I at the same company, 20 right. some odd years later, here it is. I'm speaking to you on the show. Right. I think it's fantastic. They say it's only six degrees of separation. There's one degree among us. Oh, see? One degree. Yeah. I'm sure we have more. We have probably about 20 friends that we have in common. Oh, definitely. I said that when I get off this podcast with you, I'm going to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. This is one question I wanted to know also. I want the audience to know. What is it like sitting on two prestigious boards or committees? in New York City, one being the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you know, the Multicultural Audience Development Initiative, and Costume Institute. I definitely want to hear about that. All right. Um, so I have two committees at the Met. One is diversity and one is the Costume Institute. The Costume Institute is great. The one for diversity is to bring kids into the Met and uh, people of color, or people that live in New York, that never visit the museum, enter the museum. Because the, the Met has a very intimidating feeling from the outside to go into that massive museum. And the Costume Institute, as you probably know, we just had our gala um, this past May for camp. Uh, it was a great turnout. Oh, um, fabulous. I saw it. Yes. I, I know. And they're already working on the next year um, gala already. He, uh, Andrew Bolton and uh, Anna Wintour for what the next exhibition is going, going to be. Um, the Costume Institute is a lot of fun, really is. It brings me back to fashion. Um, it, it, it keeps me current with every trend that's going on. Um, people this year, re a lot of people was trying to figure out what was camp. And camp was Donna Ross, um, uh, Donna Summers, the Mike, the Jackson Five with those bell bottoms. Remember those? Oh those yeah, over the top. anything over the top. You walk in the room, you made a statement. It was, and it was not the typical statement of being conservative. It was a statement meaning, I'm going to go all the way mm. and give them an experience. Uh, I mean, you guys probably remember Donna Ross running down um, uh, uh, down the stairs in one of her concerts and all those feathers. The cable was as long as the stage. That was camp, you know? Okay. And who do you think was the most camp? Um, you know, I love what Cardi B wore. And I thought Jennifer Lopez looked very elegant. Um, in her camp, she had on a, a glittery uh, outfit. I saw um, that. Gorgeous. Um, let me see. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was there. Um, I mean, Anna Wintour came very conservative, but she was camp of all the feathers on her cape. Um, who was I one of the males? Um, oh, the football player, and everyone's going to kill me. He wore Tom Brown. Um, Straight hand? Uh, no, Beckham. Uh, no, oh, oh, Odell Beckham. Okay. Didn't he wear the skirt by Tom Brown? I think so. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Was that? I, I thought he looked good, and he had the body to pull it off with the arms and the legs. I, I don't think you could be a skinny man and pull that off. And it was very fashion forward because even though um, certain people may have not gotten it, Looking at that, that if that that look was very sexy on him, I found it very sexy, the way he was dressed up, for him and his body stature to be in an outfit like that. Okay. All right. Maybe I'll go next year. <laughs> maybe, I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll get the opportunity to come next year. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's a six hundred person waiting list oh. for the gala, and but it is the most diverse gala in the United States. I know. I've watched it over the years, and it's always amazing. Right. It, yeah. 
a lot of people of color that go to that gala. Mm-hmm. A lot, I mean, it's very diverse. You have every minority you could think of that attends. Uh, and because you, everyone goes to a gala and you feel like you're the only person there sometimes when you're a person of color. But the Met Gala, Costume Institute Gala, is very diverse. Okay. Yeah. Economically, it may not be, but uh, color-wise, it is. Yes. Yes. It absolutely seems that way. I mean, you see everyone there. And it seems like they have a good time. Everybody yeah. parties and enjoys themselves. And that's what it's right. about, too. Right. So great. So, Spencer, take me through a typical day of Mr. Spencer Means. Okay. I wake up at, say, 6.37. I check my emails. I call my assistants. And I speak to them, put things on the calendar. Then I go to the gym, say, around 9, 9.30, 10. I work out for like an hour and 30 minutes. Then I go into the office. I run over the agenda for the rest of the week, some marketing that has to be done. Then I make a few phone calls to clients up to about four or five o'clock clock. I show some apartments during that time also. Then I come back to the office. I finish up around, say, 6.30. I get home around seven or eight. I may have dinner. And then I watch a little television to around 11. Then I wake up again at one, check the emails again, and then I sleep again for a few hours and wake up again at like 630. Okay. So you have a full day. A full day. And if I have an event that night, I normally get home at 11. Then I mean, I get to bed to like 130 and then wake up at 630. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people think real estate stops at five o'clock and I don't know why. Really? Yeah. It's 24 hours a day. Well, they shouldn't be in real estate. Absolutely. They think they go home, be with the kids, be with the husband, and it's over. No. No, because you know what? You're dealing with the most, the largest asset of most people is their home they live in. That's right. And the most valuable. That's right. And you have to take that seriously. And they take it seriously because this is happening once to them. Even though you may be working on three or four deals like that, it's the largest deal in their life. And yes, absolutely. And most expensive for most people. Right. It's the biggest asset they will ever purchase and trade. Right. Right. So you have to take that very serious. So how has it been for you being a single agent, not taking on any partners or um, having a large team? Because this is the decade of teams. Everybody's pushing the team, the team, the team. I mean, I have an associate. I had two. I have one associate now and an assistant. Uh, people hire me because they want me there. And they may get one of my associates, but one of the larger, highly produced brokers at Compass in our office, uh, Kyle Blackman. And Kyle probably does say, I mean, hypothetically, of maybe $500 million a year in sales. Okay. And he only has four people, I think four to six people on his team. Mm-hmm. So that's, something to be said about a small team. Then you have people who have 20 people on the team and they only do 15 million in sales. Oh, I, I, so, okay. <laughs> so, so that says a lot. That says a hell of a lot. So your team, you don't have to have a, a, a big team to make money. You may just need one person plus yourself. Mm-hmm. I or may just be you and you can make the same amount of money not having someone. Because you may be a control freak that you feel like you need to do it all. You know exactly. What I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I definitely know what you mean. I mean, I've been a single agent for a very long time, um, most mm-hmm. of my career. So right. I, I definitely understand that and just took on a partner this year. Right. So, yes, I, I, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. And it took me five years to make that decision. And so giving I, up the reins of, to someone else to handle it and making mm-hmm. sure that they do it for you. That's right. You know what I mean? Knowing who you are as an agent and what you bring to the table. Right. And it, to right. me, it seems like you are the table, Mr. Means. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I, I read somewhere where you said that you would have been an interior designer if you had not been a real estate agent. Is there still I, any desire? 
uh, I love designing. Uh, I would love to um, have certain aspects of my business in the sense of a real estate broker because, you know, Compass has Compass Concierge now. Yes. Which gives me somewhat that outlet of going out and finding things to bring a home together for people and adding new colors. I love reading Architectural Digest and El Decor, learning that the new white is China white, which I did not know. And I painted my apartment this color and it's a gorgeous color. People have been stuck on white dove and um, decorated yes. white. But China white is the new color. It's great. It's great to photograph in, and it really makes a room look warm. So I've learned that, and I learned um, I I, I'm, I guess I'm self-taught on how to decorate. But by going in homes, and I'm sure you, you you can attest to this, is that you learn something new about decorating by walking in home. What granite is on the counter? Or what marbles on the counter? Now we know that everyone loves a white marble countertop. Remember when everything was black marble? Yes. And or that cobalt blue. <laughs> exactly. Now everything is white, very Martha Stewart looking, country very looking. Very quartzy. Yeah, everything's yes. quartz. Everything's quartzite. And everything's, you know, lazy gray. But right. you're right. That's how you learn. You go in and you walk these places. Because when I started in real estate in New York, I did have my license there. Um, and still do in New York for quite some time. And I remember I was told, I need you to go out and see a hundred properties that are on the market so you can learn what this is about. And I said, a hundred properties in my first month. Uh And I did. And I was so intrigued because I was able to go behind doors that I never thought I would ever be able to step step in. Right. So it was amazing to me. So I definitely get what you're saying about being in Manhattan and being in Manhattan in real estate is something completely different from being in Miami in real estate or even being where I am in Naples in real estate. So you better come on through with these tips. I hope you agents are listening to him. Oh, yeah. If not, call me directly. I'm the easy person to find. (laughs) We gave them that Spencer at Spencer means on Instagram guys. So Spencer, what do you think the state of the market is at this time in New York? I mean, I think we, we are in a buyer's market. I think um, the buyers are moving a little bit slower, but at the same time, things are selling. There's a lot of bargains out there. And if you're a buyer with any assets, this is the time to buy. If you, um, this is the time where people make money, who have a little bit of money now, because you can snatch up something and negotiate three to five percent off the price at a drop of a hat, and even more than that at times. Okay, is there a lot of cash being used in New York City? Um, yes, on my deals, I've seen cash. Okay, because my deals, I, it's always pretty much always cash which, you know, I found interesting when I first came here. So, Spencer, as far as um, being one of the top agents in New York, what do you see happening next in the real estate market? Because Um, you're like, your ear is to the ground. Your, Your ear is definitely to the ground. And this seems like this will be your life until whenever. I think that... Um, you're going to have a lot of, of a lot of new money coming in just because there's going to be the opportunity for people to make money right now. I also feel the industry with brokers is, is going to change. I think it's going to be a lot of brokers who get out of the business because they saw million dollar listing, the reality show, and they thought it was that. They didn't realize, like you and I have said, it's a seven day a week, 24 hour a day job. And if you come into it trying to work a nine to five, it's not going to work. You're going to fall part-time. Right. Because you'll fall right on your face. Yes. And people are going to step right over you. Right. <laughs> They're trying to make it to the top. This right. is true. Okay. So if there, was one, if there was one question you would have people ask themselves on a daily basis going after their dreams, i.e. success, 
their goals? What would that question be? Um, if I had to ask one question of what would uh, to a person, if, what if you had to ask people to ask themselves, does it make you happy? Do you love what you do? Okay. Do you like getting out of bed just to do what you have to do? You know? Yes, I understand that. Because that, if it makes you happy, you keep doing it. Right. All right. Well, Mr. Spencer Means, I thank you so much for being on the show. You definitely epitomize from execution to excellence. And I've had the best time talking to you. I think I've laughed more than I laughed all day today. <laughs> oh, Lord. And um, Well, I love you. I thank you for oh, inviting me on. thank you. I'm so excited that I had you on the show. I was telling everybody, I'm going to put Mr. Spencer Means on the show. And they were like, really? So quite a few people know you and know of you, and especially in our community, of course. Uh-huh. And um, they're going to be excited to hear this. So listen. I would love to catch up with you in New York one day. I will definitely give you a call back and we'll talk about that. Yeah, my numbers. Yeah, definitely. We can go to Baccarat or down to Fred's downtown or to the new Pastis restaurant that just opened up. They just opened up again. I know. Definitely we'll be there. So listen, right. I'm going to let you run. Oh, I will God. talk to you again soon. And guys, remember, if you are trying to find Mr. Spencer Means, he is with Compass New York. And he, you can also find him on Instagram at Spencer Means. Right. Thank- and if anyone's out there single, looking <laughs> tall yeah. and handsome, come my way. I have no age. As long as, you, long as you're able to um, pay, pay your own bills, you don't have to pay mine. I love I, it. I, 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 all is welcome. And I prefer someone of color. <laughs> <laughs> And tall. Yes, yes, yes. And he's good looking too. So, hey, guys. Google me. Google me. You could look at my pictures. (laughs) No, I love you. No filters here. Okay, baby. (laughs) All right, babe. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Love Love you, Spencer. Bye. Bye.